Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hi, my name is Alyssa. I am 23 years old, and today I'm going to share the stories um, about how I was sexually assaulted, not just once, but four different times. Yeah, thank you for coming on, Alyssa. Um, I'm really grateful that you are open to talking about this, and I think it sheds light onto the fact that it doesn't just happen one time. We're not exempt from it happening more than once. And it's like disheartening to hear that you've experienced it four times. Um, but I know that this is very real and there are many, um, who have experienced it more than one time. And it also just helps open our eyes to the fact that if it has happened once to us, that we need to still hold the same healthy boundaries or cautions, um, when like moving forward so that we are aware that it could unfortunately happen again. Um, I yeah, would- so that's, I think it's kind of crazy. Um, my therapist and I have talked about it, even just like predators even know what kind of personality has already been damaged. And so once you've already been assaulted once, it actually puts you even more vulnerable to be assaulted again, which is crazy. Right. Right. Like promiscuity increases. And so, yeah, that Which then, of course, puts you more at risk. Exactly. It puts you more at risk, opens up more opportunities for you to be put in situations with people who you maybe shouldn't be in situations with. Um, but even just being, you know, not having strong boundaries or, I mean, yeah, they can smell it and sense it. Um, it's very true, even in um, domestic violence. That's why um, so many of the survivors end up back in an abusive relationship right after the first one, because Mm -hmm. they know they are targets. Um, And so, yeah, we'll get into all of that, but I'm really glad that you said that and started off with that. And I would love to start with the first um, assault. Yeah. So I was 14 years old, Um, just for some brief context, like I grew up literally in trauma. Like if you know anything about the ACEs score, like my parents have struggled with addiction, uh, have divorces, like infidelity, uh, domestic abuse. So I've already been primed basically at this point to just see abuse in a lot of different forms. Um, And so at 14, I kind of was just vying for some kind of vice. Um, And so, like you said, you know, you're a little more promiscuous at a younger age. Um, And so I hung out with girls who were hanging out. They were notorious for hanging out with older guys. Um, And my parents just, because they had so much of their own nonsense going on, they kept very little tabs on me. Um, And so one evening, my girlfriend said, hey, let's go to this uh, water park. It was a nighttime event. So I lived in Arizona all throughout my life. And um, it was like featured that, you know, it'd be like a teenage night for it was literally called night splash. Mm-hmm. And so I went with this girl and, uh, you know, we were very intentional that we were going to meet some guys. That was pretty much the purpose of the evening. And, um, we met a couple of guys. Um, I met Colin At the time again, I was 14 and Colin, um, was 18. 
So he was going into his senior year and I was just starting in, to go into my freshman year. It was summertime. Um, I noticed he had tattoos and he was just, I don't know, he was just elusive, I guess. Um, and so we all spent the evening just getting to know each other. We were, we were all strangers at this point, essentially. And as the night progressed, um, I basically got cut off from my friend, Victoria, and I was with Colin and, um, you know, Colin and I are spending more and more time, you know, just getting to know each other. And, uh, towards the end of the night, Colin is pushing me towards like edges of this park. Um, there was, there would be like different areas where there would be like, you know, seating for like during the day, would it be the big deal? Cause it would be light out, but here where it's dark, like it's literally truly like really dark outside if there's if there's no you know light and people around and so um at one point in the night he basically pushed me into this corner with a bunch of chairs and nobody was around um and he kissed me at first which for me that was exciting because I'd never been kissed before so you know I was like okay this is nice like romantic whatever um but immediately after he kissed me he started to like press into my body basically Mm -hmm. and I was kind of stunned and again, unexperienced. I didn't really know what to expect from all of this. It was overwhelming really just to be kissed. Right. Um, And all of a sudden he started to just shove his fingers like down my pants of like the bottoms of my swimsuit. Mm. Um, And I was just in shock. Like it never occurred to me in that moment of like, maybe I should like yell for help (laughs) or like, you know, like maybe I should push you away. I, I, my body completely froze up. Um, and I was just stunned. And so I literally, like, after that happened, I remember like, just trying or like, you know, really furiously trying to find Victoria. And I remember literally, like, I don't, I think it was my mother who picked us up and just like bleeding into my shorts Mm. and knowing, I don't really know what happened, but I know what happened was wrong. Mm. Um, and so I just didn't say anything like it really honestly, it took me like a long time to recognize that like that was even considered assault. It just, it just felt bad. So basically what, what, I mean, for me, what happened, the result of that one was that I basically just didn't speak to guys all throughout high school. So that was going into my freshman year of high school. And like for the first three years, I kind of just like stopped talking like to boys. All of my girlfriends were like into dating and, you know, the excitement of getting to know somebody. But in my head, subconsciously, I was like, well, I know what happened to me the first time I kissed somebody and I don't want that to happen again. So I just didn't pursue anyone or any kind of romantic interest. Right. Right. So did your mom, did you ever tell your mom in high school about it or did you keep it to yourself? Um, I kept it to myself and I feel like I regret that, but also I don't think my parents had the capacity to like even hold space for that. Wow. Oh, sorry. I'm just like, this season has been really hard for me. Just like every episode as it is hard for anybody to share their stories and come forward. But I think the realization in this season, just of like, Just like hearing that from the get-go, I think with the situation you were in when when you were raised and kind of like the dynamic of that, and then like kind of what led you to that night. And then it's just like a kind of a series of like unfortunate 
events and it just like continues to like spiral as we'll continue to hear your story, but it just makes me sad. Like that yeah. <laughs> just makes me sad. Um, my senior year of high school was basically kind of like a breaking point for me mentally. Um, like I said, all of the just childhood trauma was like really starting to surmount. Um, and that year my dad actually got arrested for domestic abuse. Mm. Um, and I lived in a really small town and so it was very public and it just like, it just kind of broke me. Um, and so by the time I got to college, I was really fortunate. I got a scholarship to go to college. I chose one that was two hours away from home because I was just so done. Um, but like most, you know, average American teenagers, you get to college and freedom is like this. I don't know. It's, it's kind of reckless. Uh, I was young. I was a division one athlete. You know, my body was really fit. And like you said, I had all of this brokenness and just like this naivety and vulnerability. Um, and so I basically just, you know, started getting accustomed to college life and would do really well in school, but also <laughs> I would be out on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at the time I was kind of like discovering faith, um, but I had no like structure for what that really looked like. And so um, I joined this club for that was known for like Christian athletics it was called FCA. Yeah. And I met this guy named Doug. Again, Doug is an older guy than me. Um, at the time, I had just turned 18 and Doug was 21. Uh, Doug was a very large guy. He was a rugby player for the school. And so, and he was also in the Army Reserves. And so basically, like, you know, I'm 5'5", 120 pounds. And this guy was 6'2", probably like 200 some pounds. Mm. And um I genuinely thought that meeting him was a safe environment because I met him literally in a Christian club, you know, where we would talk about God every week right? and volunteer together. So I genuinely thought that I was like making a good decision. Um, but also I was still being naive and like I said, going out on the weekends um, and just, you know, drinking to the point where I was no longer able to make good decisions. And so one weekend, Doug and I had been dating for a few weeks and this was the Halloween party Uh, and this was kind of like a notorious day that was like looked forward to and planned because it was our homecoming football game it was Halloween night there was just like you were going to basically drink all day long and all night long and so um, by by like two in the afternoon I'm already pretty drunk Um, and the plan was that Doug was going to meet me at one of my friend's parties Um, back then like you would go to a party house that was like close enough to the field that you could just walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way, cause you can't drink inside the stadium. And so um, we were really close by to the stadium and I drank and Doug showed up to this party to meet me and he was supposed to go to the game with me and he was pissed. Um, he was just like telling me like how I looked like a whore because I was drinking so much and that I looked like sloppy mm-hmm. uh, and that I was embarrassing him. And so it was getting to the point because we were walking over to the game that my friends were like actually growing kind of concerned <laughs> and they walked over and they were like, uh, is everything okay? And Doug was like, you know what? I'm done with this. Like, I'm just not going to go. So like, see ya. So he left for the night um, or I thought, <laughs> and I went to this game. So after the game, um, there's now another party at a different location. That's like far off, off campus. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, I frequented this house like often all of my friends did um to the point where like uh it was just like so normal for us to to be there and to be so like messed up that like one of my friends actually got trafficked at that house which is a scary scary like thought Um, yeah like that's a whole different story but it's just really really scary um and so basically the night progresses I'm still drinking but I get to a point where I'm like this house that I come to often is now feeling unsafe even though I was drunk and I called Doug because I was like this is the only person I know that's like literally not out with me and I was like, hey, you know, there's a lot of people showing up, like, it's standing room only, can you please come and pick me up and take me home? Um, he was still pretty pissed, but I guess I appeased him, and so he came to my house, mm-hmm. or sorry, to, to, the, to the house, and so he picked me up, you know, and I'm like, I'm done at this point, like, I have been drinking all day long, I'm exhausted, um, and I'm, like, telling him, you know, okay, can you drop me off my dorm, and Doug insisted that I go to his house and so I'm really not much in a position to argue with him you know what am I going to do at this point I'm at the mercy of this guy um and so we went to Doug's house and um again I'm I'm drunk at this point and so I pretty much spent the whole night just in a very like similar situation to the first assault where like you know my body's being pressed into Doug is you know, pressing his fingers um, up, you know, up my skirt. He's groping me. He's touching me. He's clearly having me touch him um, below the belt. And I'm just like doing the best I can to like, it literally felt like a dance of like, how do I like appease this guy enough Mm. to like, you know, think that we're flirting, but I really do not want to have sex with him. Right. Um, and so again, for, you know, the next morning comes and I leave and that was that, and it was really hard for me to recognize at the time, like you guys, I didn't understand that I was assaulted until like, literally I got married. It took me this long to, to recognize all these things because I thought like, well, I was drunk and this is just what like people do, I guess, you know? Yeah. And it didn't, like, it never occurred to me like, oh no, somebody like shouldn't be, (laughs) like just doesn't have access to my body just because you know I'm drunk and they gave me a ride home you know yeah um so yeah that was that was the second assault and I didn't tell anyone because I just felt like I felt embarrassed of like one I had drank all that day and I didn't want to tell people like this is what happened to me and I think that like you touched on something that I wanted to just know is like like you like you listen you but also people listening to this like are always allowed to say no and it does not matter what state you are in like you know if you are drunk or high you can always say no and it does not matter if you have known this person for one week one night or you know 10 years, you can always say no. It does not matter if you guys kissed and you said yes to him going to second base. And then you decided, I don't like this and we shouldn't do this. You can still say no. Like there's always space to say no because it is your body and it is your boundary and it is your voice. And I think that that's something that I can really resonate with you in 
in you sharing your story in my own story and just thinking and not being necessary. Like, it seems like something so common knowledge or common sense, but it's really not in those moments. And it's really hard if nobody's teaching you these things to really in these situations think, okay, well, is this just what happens? Like, like someone shouldn't be doing that to you when they haven't, like when they're clearly sober and you're not, that's being taken advantage of, but there's just so many things that, that played into this, but um, yeah, it's, it's crazy like to hear it. And even for you, like, I can hear you kind of like, you know, this is crazy that I didn't realize this until I was married, but it's like, this is so like, this is so dang common. There are so many people who, including myself thought the exact same way that you did and experienced some of the exact same experiences that you did, which makes me certain that there are other people listening who have experienced the exact same things we have, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I resonated with your, I think it was last week's interview when she said like, we expect people to just like know. And she, I think she said she was like six years out from the abuse and she was just now learning to heal. Yes. Like I'm, I'm very similar (laughs) from that. So, um, the next experience was Blake. Um, that was a year later. Um, it was a really interesting like period in my life because I basically like started to recognize that I was using alcohol and smoking weed like as a um, a coping mechanism. Um, and so I wouldn't say that I was like an alcoholic or like a drug or anything, but I knew that I was abusing it. And so I started to go see a counselor and um, but I was still going out, which is just so ironic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met this guy named Blake at a party. Um, And I knew personally, like I already knew just from like the friends that he was with and the people that even we went to that party with that he also struggled with substance abuse. Um, But he was in like, he was just really charismatic and carefree. And um, it was also after like the summer, the first summer back from home. So like I was going into my sophomore year um, in the fall. And I was, you know, I saw my parents again. So I was a little bit re-traumatized. Um, and so instead of using drugs and alcohol to comfort myself, I was going to start using sex. Like you said, a lot of people use promiscuity as a comfort. Um, and so it was really common for Blake and I, we kind of had this understanding that like we would come and see each other and hook up and such to some extent, you know, maybe it would be making out, maybe it would be oral, um, Mm-hmm. Or, you know, eventually it would lead to um, actual intercourse. And so um, there were a few of those occasions where that was like totally consensual. And I, you know, I was abiding in that. Um, but one night, Blake was going to go away for the weekend. And so he was basically like seeing me before he left um, on this trip. And I could tell that he was inebriated. And he just seemed a little bit like different than typical. Um, and also usually I would go to his place, but this time he went to mine. And so, um, Blake comes over, you know, we're interacting, um, you know, the evening progresses and it looks like we're going to have intercourse. I'm, I'm consenting to this. Um, but in the middle of having sex, um, Blake actually like grabbed my throat and pushed my neck against my head forward. And just like would not let me move. Um, and again, like 
terror just like floods my body and my mind um and like you know I, I try to like move and and you know get some ground and I can't like this is this is a grown man like mm-hmm. I'm a small person uh and I, I'm I'm underneath him so you know my, my mobility is really 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 limited um and I was basically just forced to kind of like sit in this position until he was done you know um and I think like even though it began consensual the most like this felt more like the most terrifying ones because it felt so threatening to my actual like life Mm. like not only was I being assaulted but like it felt like I could die yeah which was horrifying Yeah. And it sounded like it also was something that he was like getting off on, like the aggressiveness or like the aggression that he was having towards you in that moment. Yes. And that was like, I mean, it was just scary. And like, it made me feel used, you know, like, like I was a commodity. Right. Right. And did you, so in in this moment like when it was happening did you feel like you couldn't say no or like you couldn't say stop or what was like running through your head I guess I think it's really interesting because the first three assaults like I never said the word no um I just kind of like I tried to move you know like to to get away but I never like shouted or screamed you know like even my roommate was next door like I could have screamed you know um and I've processed this with my with my therapist because you feel shame about that even you're like why didn't I do this but the thing about trauma is like your brain literally like for a lot of people it shuts down because a lot of the trauma is like so overbearing that your brain like goes off wire because it's like I'm under threat and I don't know how to process this and so it's better for me to just like go numb and like right um I've like I'm really deep into this healing journey like I'm actively in it and so like I know like your body can like it can fight it can it can flee it can fawn which basically means like appease your abuser Mm -hmm. um or you can freeze and um for the first three like I fawned and I froze Mm -hmm. and that was really similar to like how I existed as a kid in my household you know like when my dad was beating you know my stepmom you know, like when he broke her ribs, like we froze. Cause what were we going to do? Fight my dad. Yeah. And I think like, like when you grow up, not feeling like you have a voice, um, then it transfers into situations like these where you don't feel like you have a say. And I think that growing up, it sounds like you were kind of taught to, or you learned even um, the safest way to remain without maybe uh, it being the attention being drawn on you. And so to do that was to appease. And so then transferring into these situations where you are being assaulted, um, it, I think there's just a lot of things that come into play there that you don't feel like you have necessarily a voice to say no I don't think the boundaries were set up for you like you weren't you weren't um 
we didn't have good boundaries as like examples set up for you with your parents. No. And in fact, I saw both of my mother and my stepmom both appease my dad and my stepdad. Like I watched them over and over again, violate their own personal boundaries for the sake of just existing another day. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was primed for this. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it is like, I mean, I, I know that you said that you're married now and you have realized obviously that, um, a lot like these experiences were assault and that you are learning and healing and growing. Um, but just like truly how much like it, it is, it had nothing to do actually with you. Like you, it was not your fault. And just like yeah. these situations that, um, even if like you put yourself in certain situations with people, it was like the result of having had this foundation and this groundwork laid out for you, literally like you, it just, you know, it is, yeah, I can't find my words. It's just like, that is why like you ended up in these situations, which is, I know you realize that, but it's just like hard to hear that, like your experience, because we talk so much about in the first season, um, domestic abuse. And now to get into this season of, um, sexual assault, that's one of the big reasons why I actually, um, said yes to doing an assault season and having so many people reach out, um, about their assault experiences because they're intertwined a lot. Um, whether it be that they're in a domestic abuse relationship, I think a lot of people who would assault somebody would also hit them or be abusive. I mean, it's obviously the the behavior is like, um, all tied in together. And so a lot of these women have been in, um, domestic abuse relationships and then they're sexually assaulted at the same time where they are, you know, for years are, um, expected to be a slave to sex for the sake of their safety. And, um, but it also pertains to even children who come out of abusive relationships or as their parents are in abusive relationships. And then like, how does that filter through their children and the experiences that they, they then have and what they learn from their moms or dads because they're not having a safe place to thrive in. So it's all just so intertwined. It's just crazy. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing about trauma is like, it's literally intergenerational. And so like, you know, what my mother was experiencing, she was experiencing her own abuse. My stepmother was experiencing her own abuse. And then, you know, as, as well-intentioned as they may be, like them not advocating for their own healing, them not advocating for their own safety, literally then led me and I have seven sisters to like I'm watch it terrifies I'm the oldest and it terrifies me like knowing you know what I have gone through and knowing what risks they're at like you know again like they set us up for, for this not intentionally but like it's if that's all you've seen then that's what you're accustomed to you know yeah exactly exactly so the last assault I think is by far the most painful um definitely in terms of like the physical reality of what happened but also um just like the emotional betrayal um the three men who assaulted me first I knew very casually like you know I didn't I didn't know them to a very good depth you know um but the third assault was my best was one of my best friends actually um and so like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode like you know you start to learn after these things happen like okay I need to start being wise about you know the situations I put myself in 
Um, and this one genuinely shocked me because it was my best friend. And so it was not a person I would ever have thought that I had to have had my guard up around. Um, uh, Logan was the person I used to spend a lot of time with Logan, especially in my senior year of high school. Um, Logan and I were both in all of the same honors classes together. We went to small schools. So like if you were an honors kid, like you literally had the same schedule because <laughs> there's only so many classes you could be in. Um, so we spent all day at school together and then we did track and we did a club pole vault together. Um, and so literally like during the day at school, we were together after school, we were together. And then on the weekends, we were together. Um, Logan and I had a group of five that we kind of hung out with. Um, there was me, there was another girl named Sammy. Um, there was a guy named Hayden, Logan, and then our friend Isaac. Yeah, so there, Logan uh, and I were like a part of a group of five who were super close. Like every weekend we were hanging out. I lived in a small town that was like predominantly Mormon. And at the time I wasn't in any kind of faith background. And so we all just like hung out as like a band of misfits. And it was also like the first group that I began to like experiment with drugs and alcohol with. Um, and so it was me, my friend, Sammy, who was the other girl in the group, um, Hayden, Logan, and then my friend, Isaac. And so we were really close, especially our senior year of high school. And then when we graduated, we all went to different colleges, um, but we still hung out, you know, like as much as possible whenever we saw each other on breaks and even, you know, FaceTimed and stuff all the time. Um, and so my sophomore year of college, um, a couple months actually after uh, the Blake situation happened, um, in November 5th, um, my friend Isaac committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically had a bad drug trip and um, was really scared and he shot himself. Wow. And um, yeah, I mean, that's a whole trauma in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, I was shocked. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I was trying to like do my best to hit sobriety. And so for me, it was really surreal that you know, Isaac was the very first person I ever smoked weed with. And this, you know, this guy who has been a piece of safety for me, who's actually like come to pick me up when my parents are fighting, like is now dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like completely devastated. Um, out of all three guys in the group, Isaac was definitely the most like gentle. Um, and it was just shocking to me. Um, and so, I mean, obviously all all four of us were just kind of shocked. Um, And so about a week after November 5th, um, it was his funeral scheduled in our hometown. And so um, me, Sammy, Logan, and Hayden all planned to spend the weekend together to kind of mourn and um, go to the funeral together and just try and process everything since we'd already processed so much as a group already. And so the morning of Isaac's funeral, I went with Sammy and we met Hayden and Logan there. And I sat next to Logan and he held my hand and I cried into his shoulder. And, you know, he was very comforting and consoling. Um, 
And also just for context, like Logan and I, because we had spent so much time together, there would always been an element of just like a romantic spark, but we had never officially dated. Um, so we had been friends, but there would always been some kind of attraction. In fact, Logan was the first person I lost my virginity to. So I'd already, I knew him in a deeper way compared to Hayden, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the funeral was really hard. Um, and that evening, after I'd been sober for a few months, um, we went to a party that was just in Tempe. And I decided, you know what, this is this kind of pain that I'm feeling right now is like insurmountable and I'm going to drink. I'm going to allow myself to drink and to be with my friends and to mourn. Um, and I was with my friends, you know, so I, I didn't think it was a big deal. And so um, I started to drink. Um, we, I mean, we were there for a few hours and then at the end of the night, we all went home again. Like we'd already planned in advance that we were all going to stay the weekend together. So um, as we get home, I'm pretty drunk and um, Sammy and I were supposed to sleep in her bed together and the boys were going to sleep on the couch. Well, Logan was being pretty insistent that he wanted to sleep in the bed. He was acting like he was super drunk and like he didn't want to move. Like just, you know, they were trying to push him off the bed and he was just, you know, being exaggerating and like, oh, no. And so finally, Sam was like, screw it. I'm going to sleep on the couch. Like, you guys can do whatever you want. Like, it's, it's two in the morning. <laughs> you know? Like, um, we're all over this. Um, and so Hayden was going to sleep with Logan in the bed. And I said, you know what? I'll, I'll sleep with Logan. And um, this is the hardest part for me of my story and why I didn't share this particular story for so long. Um, because once I got into the bed with Logan, I initiated sex with Logan. Like I wanted comfort and I wanted um, just to connect with somebody. Like I, I was in such deep anguish, you know? Uh, and obviously I was also intoxicated. Right. And this person I had a deep history with, like it's, it wasn't like going on a one night stand. It was a person that I knew for a really long time. Um, and so Logan and I began to have sex. And um, the scary part for me and where I start where it becomes, you know, assault, um, is as we were having sex, Logan then began to, um, kind of make his way, like his hands to, to my bottom. And, um, I just remember like being invaded, like anally. And this was the first time ever out of all the assaults that I actually like screamed and cried and said, no because I was in so much like physical pain that it was like, I knew inherently, like I remember repeating over and over again, no, 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 no. Um, and I remember like, it's really twisted because I remember like Logan really, like literally putting his hand on my mouth and trying to like soothe me and being like, it's okay, it's okay. Mm. Um, and honestly, um, after that, I don't really remember much of the evening. Um, I'm actually like processing all of that in EMDR right now. Like a lot of the memories are literally like blacked out for me. And I don't think it's because of the alcohol. I think it's because of the trauma. Yeah. Um, but I remember waking up really early in the morning and kind of like you said, um, you know, your body will show 
the physical reactions of that and I was bruised and um I just immediately like left the house without like I didn't say goodbye to anyone I just left the house and so I drove back two hours to my hometown uh to my college from my hometown and I called I think it was Hayden um and he she and he was with Sammy and I told them what had happened and I said listen like last night was not okay this is what happened when you guys were sleeping you know like I don't know what to do about this. And so that was also significant because it was the first time that I would ever, I'd ever told somebody about one of my assaults. Right. Um, and again, they're my close friends. And um, I was heartbroken because um, Hayden's first and in like immediate response was, well, you were really drunk last night and you were the one who walked, walked into Logan's room and wanted to sleep with him. Wow. So I don't really know. Like, it was like, skeptical of whether that really happened right right and Sammy was kind of just like Alyssa like you drank a lot like you have a long history with Logan like you know I wouldn't think about it too much um yeah so that was there was just so much um like sense of shame and betrayal and heartbreak and also, you know, again, not, like not to mention, I'm literally still processing the death of my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just like probably one of the lowest parts of like my life mm-hmm. um, of just being in shock and not knowing like what to do or how to handle this. Um, and that was also like the first time I recognized like, okay, what happened was wrong, but I tried to tell somebody and they've denied me so like what else am I supposed to do um and so um I didn't report Logan um he was in the Air Force Academy and I was afraid of just the logistics of if you make an accusation like that you're going to definitely get into a legal battle because he's going to become a commissioned officer you know Mm -hmm. um and I I was afraid of being said you know of this if my if my closest friends who knew me so well already said that you know it didn't really happen that way then I was sure that like a jury wouldn't wouldn't believe me either Mm. um so I didn't I didn't like press any charges I told I told um Logan and and or sorry I told Hayden and Sammy and eventually years later I told my mom but that was it like and of course my partner now knows my husband um but I mean, I, I just kind of like shoved it down um, and kept living. Um, and so the repercussions of that was that a month later, I got into an abusive relationship. Um, it was really hard for me to spot because I was not being abused sexually or um, physically, but mm-hmm. I was being abused emotionally. And so I basically got cut off from all my friends and was forced to quit my job and was forced to not be able to go to class in person anymore and was like failing and was at risk of losing my scholarship. Um, And I was in that for a whole year before I finally had the strength to recognize that what was happening was not good. And it literally took me to get to weigh 105 pounds with my hair falling out and my skin turning yellow. And I'm Mexican, so like I have brown skin. And so um, that's what took me I feel like to like fully break and to like take responsibility for the fact that like 
I can't continue to live um, life in a way that's making me a victim. Yeah. And I need, I need to make better choices. And I need to, like you said, I need to set up boundaries and learn safety um, for myself. And I need to break this cycle because I'm not going to live like my stepmom and my mom. Mm. And wow. so, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it took, <laughs> it, it took years to literally get to that point. Um, and so now I'm at a place where I met my husband and he's a godly man and he's safe and he's loving and he's um he believes me and he supports me and you know just every kind of quality that you would want in a person um and I, you know statistically when you look at a girl like me with my story with my childhood with my assaults um and with the you know abusive relationship it doesn't make sense how I could find a good partner you know yeah um and I really, I mean, I want, I believe it's the grace of God, but two, I really think it was that I got to a point where like, I just said, I'm not going to accept that this is like how, what, what love looks like. I'm not going to allow people to treat me this way anymore. Um, and I don't want this to sound like a triumph story because the reality of it is that I've been married almost two years now. And like, I'm just now like, like my body's just now showing the physical effects of the trauma. But do you know why um, that, that is? Is because you feel safe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like so shitty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I feel safe for the first time. So my body's showing all of the like pain. Um, and I'm really fortunate because my husband's insurance is great. So I get to go to um, an EMDR specialist and I get to see a therapist. Um, so like, I'm really in the thick of healing. Um, but yeah, I just want like to make that clear because I feel like when you see the movies, like you would see me get married and that would be like the end of it, you know, like that would be the victory and it would be like perfect from then on out. But like the reality of my story is like, I'm married to this amazing man. And like, there's nights when I can't, as much as I would love to, I can't be intimate with him because of the things I'm processing, you know? And that, and it feels so unfair because I want to like show love that way. And I want to experience love that way with him, but the, like the things I'm working through and healing through, like won't allow me to. And of course, like he's wonderful and so supportive and so patient. And like, I know that there'll be a time, you know, in the future that I'm praying that this won't be an issue anymore, but like, it's a long road to recover. And like you said, like you actually have to like find safety to, to even begin to start that. Yeah. <clears throat> you have me bawling. Um, because I think like you didn't say this specific part, but I'm just going to read it. You said, I truly believe it is by God's grace alone. I finally summoned up the strength to leave the Lord redeemed everything. And that specific line there, because it's just like hearing your story and hearing like, I think from the time that you have been born, it just seems like there was a mark on your life of just, I think, I mean, I think I'm, I think the enemy just has such a mark on your life to try and destroy like what plans, good plans that the Lord has for you. And it's just like, 
listening to your story and you just like stand up, you get knocked down, you stand up, you get knocked down, you stand up, you get knocked down. And then you stand up again and you're knocked down. And then, you know, and it's just like, you can't catch a break. And it's like, just to hear about coming to the end of yourself and recognizing that you hit, I think a point where it was like, this is not, I, I cannot function like this anymore. Like this is not livable and what do I need to do? But also there's only so much that you can do. And then the rest is really just, um, surrendered to God and God's grace alone, like you said, and him redeeming everything and using everything um, for the good of those who love him. And I think hearing where you're at now and just the realness of like, you know, yes, I, God redeemed so many things in my life and where you're at now being able to be on a podcast and sharing your story with us, you know, after four assaults um, and three of those, not being able to say anything and to be able to sit here and say, I was assaulted, you know, and this is A, B, C, and D and like, this is my story. That's like, that's like such growth and such healing in itself and should show you that even though there is still healing to be had, like you being able to just like vocalize those things, recognize that those were assault and see the areas of like where your boundaries were crossed, I think is like, I mean, you couldn't have done that, you know, how many years ago. And so it's like, this is growth. This is healing. And just to be able to be even a small part of that healing for you or a small part of like, just being able to watch that is just like, I feel just really honored and just, yeah, your story is hard to listen to in the way that it's just heartbreaking, but it's also like really makes, I just know within me that there is just, I don't know what God is calling you to do in your life for like where you're at now with that. And we'll get into that with your dreams and goals and visions, but I just feel like you have such a call on your life and I don't know what it is, but like, I just know that the attacks that have been coming against you are so strong and so evident that there's no doubt in my mind that like the, the calling that the Lord has placed on your life, like the enemy is so afraid of that and hates it. And I don't know, I just would love to step into that and what that looks like for you now? Like, what do you feel called to do? What's like, what are you passionate about? Yeah, that's like super emotional for me just because like the Lord is so gracious and he's so kind and he has like redeemed every single thing that the enemy tried to steal or kill or destroy. Um, My husband is actually in the process of becoming an army chaplain. Mm, And so um, it's just really surreal for me sometimes, honestly, like my husband just is about to preach his like first sermon um and uh like to think that I was a girl who like would black out on the weekends and was like assaulted by men and couldn't be safe at my own home because my parents you know were violent um to now like my husband is a man of God who's like leading other people to to know you know faith and grace and salvation um it's really really humbling for me um I identify a lot with like the story of Hosea Mm. of just like Gomer and Hosea just like constantly pursuing Gomer and like even though she like tries to go back to that lifestyle sometimes 
like he's just persistent in that like I'm gonna love you and I don't care if you keep going back to like sin or like death like I'm gonna love you and my husband has loved me like that and um it's just been like it's just really humbling uh, because healing is not an easy journey and to be honest with you like it's not an easy journey for my husband a lot of the times because he's watching me like process things that he can't even fully like fathom you know yeah um and so my dream really honestly is just to like eventually someday I would like to become um a trauma counselor um but really what I feel called to like in this season is as Brad steps into becoming a chaplain that I would just be making space for soldiers and their wives um especially women you know like the army is a broken place you want to talk about like where traumatized people go like it draws broken people yeah um and so I've just already been able to see like connections that are like kind of divine and so yeah I just want to be um an open and honest place for people to just walk with God you know um I I've had people who've done that well for me and I've had people who've actually harmed that process and I really pray that like because of my experience like as horrible as it's been that I would be able to like lovingly walk with people through that right so that's kind of those are my hopes and dreams um it's messy but I'm really hopeful I think that's so beautiful how you like yeah just the relation to Hosea and Gomer and just to your life and just seeing how God has pursued you. And I think this, this, your story is just such an, such an incredible and such a beautiful story of the father's love and the father's grace and mercy and redemption. And I don't think I've ever heard ever. I've heard a story like yours, um, that like moved me the way that it is right now. And just how like confident I am in like the plans that the father has for you and your husband. And yeah, I don't know. Um, just as real as God is, so is the the enemy, but the enemy is not equivalent to the Lord. That's something that pastor, my pastor said that, um, a couple of weeks ago is like how sometimes we think there's like God and then there's Satan. And it's like, no, like God is not like Satan is not equivalent to God. Um, like God is God. And like, I think in in your situation and all of our situations, but like just listening to your story, like God is God. And like, at the end of the day, like those attacks and those arrows that were pointed at your life, um, have been like shut down. And I think that you're receiving double fold of what you've lost and you will continue to receive double fold. And obviously that doesn't mean that you're exempt from pain and exempt from trials and exempt from, you know, these things, because we're not promised an easy life as Christians. But, um, I do know that you have stories and you have experiences that are going to be, um, you're going to be able to understand people's trauma in a way that someone else can't obviously, but also I think that like the role that you will step into in the future as you begin to heal and you are in a place where you feel, you know, that maybe God entrusts women to you or men or whoever, like not men, but you know, families or whatever it may look like, 
um, when you start to get entrusted with these people, I'm just really looking forward to hearing those stories because I think that you have just, I've said it like five times, but you've just such a big calling on your life. And I know sometimes as Christians, we can get wrapped up in this thing of like, I want to do something like great for the Lord and big for the Lord. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, it is just like, it is like, is it okay if you just work in a cafe until you're 85, yeah. and what the Lord has you do, because sometimes that may be the call is just to, you know, be a light to people in there. But I know that there are some people who God has a call in their life and it is something very, 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 very big. And I believe that you have that calling on your life, like so strongly. Um, so thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, it's humbling. <laughs> I think like my story never allows me to like, forget just how big the grace of God is. Like it's, it's wow. so real every single day for me, you know, it's not been lost on me. So yeah. it's incredible. Um, what is one tip that you would say to our listeners listening? Um, I would say what really changed for me uh, when I dated my husband versus when I was with those other guys um, is I really recommend to people like date in community. Um, I'm not joking. Like before I agreed to go out on the first date with my husband, I literally said that like, you have to agree to have my best friend interview you. And I want your friends to interview me and for them to agree that like, they think that we would be a good match. Mm. And so like, I didn't, I was so afraid of like love blinding me, you know, or attraction or whatever. I really, really, really wanted discernment and just, you know, some boundaries, like you said. Um, and so that I think was like a really good safety measure for me. Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know that your story is like, it, I don't, I truly, I don't think I've ever just been at such a loss of words than I have in this entire episode. Um, but thank you for coming on and for sharing. Um, yeah, it's like one of those stories. I feel like everybody is going to need a box of tissues for, um, (laughs) (laughs) but I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I'm grateful that God led you to me or led However, we, I don't even know how we found each other, but I'm grateful for it. So thank you for coming to share today. Thank you. And yeah, thank you. And I'll be praying for just your own healing and um, just the continued journey that you have. I really appreciate, like I said, it was, I knew I wanted to share my story and I just had no like platform to do it on. And Mm -hmm. so this was a safe place for me. So I appreciate you. Thank you for saying that. All right. Thank you guys. Tune in next Thursday for the next story that will air. See you guys.